Good morning and welcome. Can you guys say good morning back? Oh, that is so good. Uh, good morning, Garden City family. I am so grateful that we can cross boundaries and zip codes and meet and gather to worship the Lord together, to participate and practice the embodiment of Jesus' presence within this community. Awesome, right? Not only that, but we can build tight-knit relationships whose lives are marked by righteousness and justice. So we're going to continue our Advent series. We've been walking through the first chapter of Matthew. And man, I am so relieved that Amanda took genealogy scripture. Where is she at? Is she here? Amanda, you ripped that genealogy apart. For, uh, funny story, crazy. When we were planning the outline of this Advent series, this is the first time ever in my life I got to be a, be a part of an Advent kind of series, and I said to myself, please do not give me the genealogy. Please. With fingers crossed, I do not want this. Lord, take the will. And I said, give it to Amanda. So the next day, I received the email saying something like, all right, Shaq, you got Matthew 1, verse 18 to 25. And I was like, yes. The Lord has heard my cry. Uh, but yes, Amanda taught us about the, the first 17 verses of Matthew, that the author Matthew establishes Jesus as a legal heir to the throne of Israel through the, through the line of King David. He proved that Jesus is a part of the royal family, both through being adopted through Joseph and being the physical descendant through Mary. Having established that, Matthew now gives his readers an end-close look of the story of Jesus' birth and the promise of Emmanuel, which is God with us. The one who, has a, has, the one who is to come has arrived. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Matthew 1, verse 18 and 25. This is NLT. If you don't have your Bibles, get a Bible. I'm joking. Uh, but if you don't have a Bible, look to the screens and we'll read it together. Uh, and this is how it says, starts. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we 
are busy. And Lord, we need you to slow down our minds. Help us grasp the reality of Jesus' birth. Help us understand what you have for us today, Lord. Open our hearts so we may receive your truth. And Lord, speak through me today. Lord, I am a sinful and feeble man, but Lord, I pray that you will speak your words through me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So starting at verse 18, Matthew starts off by saying, this is how Jesus Messiah was born. He goes on and talks about his family by saying his mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. In Jewish culture, there are three stages to getting married. One, there's the betrothal, or what we call an engagement today. But it was much more binding than what we call it. Betrothals were often arranged when the couple were still children, five or six years old. The marriage was almost arranged by the families of the bride and groom without consulting them. Secondly, the families met with other witnesses so that the groom or the father of the groom could make a contract with the bride and her family. The marriage contract was considered binding as soon as it was made, and the man and woman were considered legally married, even though the marriage ceremony and sexual intimacy often did not occur until a year later. Can you imagine being in a marriage like that? <laughs> Third, <laughs> thank God we we're in America. But <laughs> third is the, <laughs> the payment of the diary was made, which is paid by the groom or his family to the bride of the father. The payment served as a, uh, to compensate the father for wedding expenses, the loss of a worker in the home, or to provide a type of insurance for the bride when the groom became dissatisfied and divorced her before the marriage ceremony. During the 12-month period of engagement, the couple enjoyed the status of marriage without the rights of marriage. They might or might not be able to have any periods of alone time together. When they were together, the fidelity of the marriage, the, the fidelity of the bride and groom was tested. So one of the major purposes of testing the fidelity was to make sure the woman was not pregnant by someone else. So breaking a betrothal was a serious de a decision and was considered a divorce. So according to Jewish civil law, if an engaged young woman was found to be pregnant and her suitor was not responsible for it, she would be publicly shamed and executed by stoning. Crazy. So notice what Matthew states in the second part of verse 18. He says, before the marriage took place, before heavily after ever, before they had the little cones or little cans on the back of their car rolling to the, the sunset, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. We were given this impression that Joseph discovered this fact that she began to show Mary probably didn't share this daunting news with Joseph, 
It was likely told to him by others, and this was way before he received this information that this was of God. Therefore, Joseph is permitted to hold a public investigation to find out how and why Mary got pregnant. Joseph must divorce her to demonstrate his love for God and demonstrate his obedience to the law. He lived in a male-dominant culture where your honor, if wounded, must be avenged in a public way. Either she was raped or had sexual relations with someone else. However, the author Matthew doesn't really talk about those human capabilities. Instead, he tells his readers that this child in the womb is the work of the Spirit. Like this conception without any human effort, and it was out of the hand of God. See, we see God disrupting the human-controlled structure's household. Friends, God is not bound by a structure that privileges male power. God seems to counter Jewish customs with the announcement of Jesus' birth. The focus moves to her husband, Joseph, and his response to Mary's pregnancy. In verse 19, it says, Joseph was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. What were Joseph's life aspirations? What did he think about his future? What were his deep longings? What did hope look like for him? We were not given much information about this father. Matthew communicate us, communicates to us that he was a righteous and loyal man. But before us, we get this description that Joseph's empathy and kindness to protect Mary. He could not obtain any pleasure in seeing the woman he loved publicly disgraced. Under these challenging circumstances, a divorce was a relatively easy way out and could be sanctioned by Roman and Jewish law, but the decision not to marry her or not to, uh, the decision not to divorce would be more difficult and unpleasant because the husband, apart from personal hurt and trauma, will be putting his reputation at stake. He could be accusing of violating the law, exploiting his wife as a prostitute, bring a reproach on his family, or seen as weak. People around him would say things like, how could you let this adulterous woman influence your Jewish tradition? However, if he divorces her quietly, he will also suffer economic loss, for he will not be able to demand the dowry back. Negotiating for the return of the dowry what certainly involved the help of village helpers, village elders, sorry, thus making the matter public. He is faced here with serious dilemma. He is at a crossroads here. He is trying to respect the person he loves and not undercut the purposes of the law. Joseph was not a legalistic person, but he was willing to forget his own pain and try to ease someone else's shame. In verse 20 to 23, Matthew states this. As Joseph considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, 
son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the, father with, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. We get this snapshot of Joseph and his decisions, but I wish there were more context on what Matthew states when he says, as Joseph considered this. Like, what did it all mean for him? And how did he live from that reality? Have Joseph longed for a marriage and a family that quick? Did he yearn for more understanding from Mary or God? Or was the engagement broken from the pressures of family and religious leaders? When he first learned of the pregnancy of Mary, was he ashamed? Was he grieved? Was he angry? Was he jealous? Or was he bothered by the delays of divorce? We'll never know for sure what Joseph hoped for in life, but it certainly was not this, a pregnant fiance, an unborn child not of his own, a lifetime of mockery and insult that would disrupt the union between him and Mary. So as he reflected and entertained and pondered the thoughts about this righteous plan of acquired divorce, an angel intervenes and tells Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. In other words, do not be afraid of the potential social stigma. He encouraged him not to fear man. He said she, would be con she had conceived not because she was unfaithful, but because she was faithful to answer the call. This is a striking moment in Joseph's life. All of what he knows, his life, his religion, his belief system, are being questioned by the angel in a dream. He was invited to forsake and leave behind to put aside all his understanding of the law and participate in the largest story to fulfill the messianic promise given to the prophet Isaiah so that Jesus will loosen the bondage of sin and save sinners from the fiery yet holy wrath of God. What did this revelation mean to him? How would anyone believe the angel's story? How would Joseph believe the, the plight of Mary? Would you believe it? Did he believe it? Maybe he didn't entirely. While miracles have occurred in the past, nothing of this nature have ever taken place. Most of us could not and would not, with no human logic and reasoning, grasp this peculiar yet stunning act of God. Babies were conceived the same way then as they are now. Like all human beings, Joseph must have struggled and fought the lingering doubts and praying something like this. God, I do believe in you. I believe in your power, but help me overcome my unbelief. This does not make sense to me. Whatever Joseph hoped for in life, in marriage, 
and fatherhood, we know he was given a more difficult task than he hoped for. And yet, he stepped forward by answering the call, by choosing the higher form of justice, by staying with Mary and adopting Jesus as his own. Church, engage your hearts in envisioning Joseph's story. The, the emotions and the ridicule and the pushback he must have experienced in this decision. Rabbi Abraham Herschel once said, a Jew is asked to take a leap of action rather than a leap of thought. He is asked to suppress his deeds, to do more than he understands, to understand more than he does. This wasn't easy to do. It was not easy. In verse 20 to 20, 24 to 25, Matthew says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Joseph embraced shame for glory. He decided and actively chose to settle his heart towards a long-term hope that God would be proven faithful and true, that a distant redemption will be compelling enough to overthrow all his misery, his darkness, all the bitter disappointment, neglection, and terror of this choice, that this unimaginable and outrageous birth story will indeed be the hope of the world. That in the same breath of naming this child, Joseph will be making a statement about Jesus' redemptive mission. My friends, it was not easy to do. A personal testimony about myself, um, this is the moment where I get very vulnerable and let you into my life. Um, the week leading up to Thanksgiving, um, I had what I call my Emmanuel moment, a God with us experience. Um, with the ongoing disappointment and discouragement of infertility, my wife and I felt led to fast and seek God. Very common discipline of the Christian faith. One of the nights as we were praying together um, and crying together and seeking the Lord together, I had this moment like, we should pray. And as we were listening, I kept hearing these numbers flow through my mind. 38.9, never heard it before. 38.9, 38.9. I'm like, we should look it up. And I look in Psalms, and I hear the Psalms say this. You know what I long for, Lord. You hear my every sigh. I was like, oh gosh. That's so direct. I was lost for words. There were other moments in Scripture where the Lord really affirmed to my wife and I that he is watchful that he has not passed over us, that he does see us. In that moment, we didn't have this miraculous child that night. We didn't, we didn't have this pregnancy aha moment. But in that moment, my heart like really needed that. I needed that. I needed to hear that God is close, that God is near. It didn't change my suffering. It didn't change my disappointment. 
but it affected my life. It affected my marriage. It affected my relationship with God, and that is something that I still hold dear to me today. No matter if I have a child or not, I still believe that God does know my every side, that he knows my longings, that he is still Emmanuel, that he is with us. So this is God. This is Jesus, whose story is intertwined with a just man named Joseph. God chose Joseph to be the earthly father of Jesus and to protect Mary. Joseph experienced Emmanuel by accepting the call of a bigger story that God has not forgotten Joseph, that he knew that it was difficult. And God has not forgotten you. This is the God who comes to us still today when human possibilities have run out. He comes to us still today in the midst and mess of our lives in the world. He is not distant. He's not far off. He's not uninvolved. He's not turning a cold shoulder. He's Emmanuel. He is with us now. God is no longer comes near through a burning bush, a tabernacle, a prophet, or a vision. He has come near through Jesus, who was God in the flesh. I was reading John 1.14 and trying to figure out different um, translations and versions, and I came across the message version, it kind of hit a little bit different. So I'm going to read what it says. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. That is Jesus. He comes in and comes near us, and he makes himself known as Emmanuel. Not only that, he has declared that he will come back again to eradicate sin and to fulfill the promise of shalom, that is wholeness and completeness. Advent reminds us that we are in this tension, the longing to be free from longing. The longing to be free from loneliness, the longing to be free from sin, to be free from sickness and death, to be free from depression, mental health, to be free from being overlooked, excluded, undervalued, forgotten, to be free from greed, lust, pornography, all the things that harm our bodies, we one day will be free. One day we will gather in the city of God, worshiping him and enjoying his company with no barriers. Can you imagine that? That's why we meet. That's why we come here to be reminded, to be encouraged, to be boosted up, to be looked at, to be reminded that God is watchful. Don't you long for the moment of 
Exhale. Don't you long for the moment where your sigh is complete. So for a second, I want to try something out. If you can take a deep breath, I'm going to count to three, and then we're all going to take a deep breath, and then we're all going to exhale together. Ready? One, two, three. Don't you long for the day where you can just put down your, your, your tiredness and, and be restful? There will come a day when we will do that, where we will look in the face of our creator, and he says to us, welcome home. It's good. We should clap. We should clap. The thing, the thing is, we can't make Christianity boring. We should be the most joyful people ever. So, literally, like, question is, when you hear the name Emmanuel, what eruption, what, what reaction does it create in you? How often do we take time to really consider God's presence in and among us. I want to be really direct here. Really direct. Look at your friends. Oh, he's about to go there. You need to slow down. We need to slow down. I need to slow down. It's not just one season where we remind ourselves about Evan, but it's every single day of our lives that he is returning. Slow down, friends. Let's pray. Yet, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against his will, all creation will be subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present day. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as adopted children including new bodies as he had promised us. And all God's people says, amen. amen.